Hey there, welcome to the What's Your Thing podcast, where we're all about great conversations with interesting people. That's right, I'm Brennan. And I'm Caitlin. There's something awesome about every person, a thing that makes them truly unique. We wanna know what it is about everyone, so we're asking. What's your thing? Episode nine, What's Your Thing podcast. Very excited to have our guest on. We're shifting back to the medical field. Our previous guest, a mutual friend, Kevin Hogan, was a pathologist, and I'm very happy to say today we have one of our favorite people in the world, a respiratory therapist, Mr. Bryson Kitts, joining the podcast. Bryson, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm your host, Brennan. And I'm Caitlin. Caitlin's off screen. She's running the behind the scenes stuff today, but she'll be enjoying the questions with us, but it's going to be my beautiful bald head with my Movember mustache asking most of the questions today. Uh, Bryson, thanks for being here. Um, and yeah, as you said, you are pretty much one of the people who has a unique job in healthcare. You are on the front lines of it, but I'm going to let you explain it. Uh, what's your thing? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I've been a big fan of your podcast ever since it came out. So. <laughs> Nine weeks ago? Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I'm, I'm a respiratory therapist. It's, uh, it's a, uh, in the healthcare field, not many people know know who we are or what we do. Um, and to be honest, uh, you know, most people are probably better off not knowing us. Anyways, did you not tell me one time it's like you're you're the last one to know us, and you're better off if you don't? Or there's some saying like that. I thought uh, it was really interesting. Well, well a lot of people, a lot of people that run into us have have uh, are either you know on a on a ventilator in a coma in ICU. Um, or usually have um, have a serious uh, lung comorbidity in the community that we would that we would follow, um, but sometimes we're there in the scenes and you don't realize because we might be there. We have scrubs. There's doctors, nurses. Um, uh, like a good example would be labor and delivery. If uh, if there's a baby that comes out with uh, meconium or anything in their lungs, we're there to help the team uh, resuscitate and and clear the, clear the airways so the baby can can uh, can cry and become nice and pink and sit on mommy's chest, you know? So that was gonna be a question I had before we get into like the background of how you got into this. When people are at the hospital, you know, I find if you, like we mentioned Kevin earlier, he's a pathologist, he does research and stuff like that. But when you're on the floor, especially as a patient, as you said, people are all in scrubs. Where do you fit in compared to maybe nurses, doctors who are practicing on the floor? I'm sure you do a little bit of like paperwork charting filing a little bit of everything it, it's you know what it's a lot like any team sport we're all we're all on the surface together um we all have our roles uh, we we manage to do it without bumping into each other um and and you know in in most cases you know working together just has get, makes a better outcome for the patient so um we all we all do our our share of charting and we all do our share of share of patient contact um but we do it in different ways um and when we collaborate and do it together we can put the whole picture together uh for the patient so as a respiratory therapist you're focused on the heart and lungs uh yeah car yeah cardiorespiratory and cardiovascular mostly for us um we you know any anytime you're on uh, high amounts of oxygen we'll be following you um, and like I said earlier, if you're on a ventilator, which you won't always know about, we, we are with you. 
Um, but it even goes as far as the community. There are some, some people who wear oxygen in the community uh, because they have uh, badly damaged lungs or, or, um, or conditions that don't allow their blood oxygen levels to be high enough. Um, so we do, we do home visits too. Um, anybody who has a CPAP machine has most likely met a respiratory therapist because uh, um, we're usually the ones in there selling them, uh, doing home call, house calls, maintaining them. Um, so uh, we, we, there is a wide range of areas that you might find us, but you just, you don't, you, I guess you just don't know it. So what led you to finding that? How do you find your way into this career? Well, you know, it's funny. It's a question that we we like to ask a lot of people because, you know, nobody really thought about that program coming out of high school. Like, I don't think I knew what it was until you kind of told me. A, lo it. a lot of people didn't. So it's kind of uh, when we're teaching students, it's kind of a, a common question we'll ask, you know, like what what made you in the program? And well, not for me, it's an easy answer. Um, it was it was my father who suggested it. He's he's an anesthesiologist by trade. Um, he's retired now, but uh, when I was uh, when I was in university, uh, I was finishing up a degree, and uh, I wasn't really sure what I was going to be doing after that. It it wasn't going to lead me straight into a job, um, but I did know that I liked the sciences, um, especially healthcare. I mean, I, I I grew up watching my dad, yeah. and. Uh, and, and, you know, he was always my hero, right? So, um, but even listening to conversations he would have, and I always found it so interesting, um, you know, watching the medical field. I did go to the hospital on grade nine, go to work day, which gave me, you know, an extra boost towards that, uh, that field. And uh, so for me, um, it, I wanted to do something healthcare related. My, my father suggested it. So it was a college program after university? It was, no. So, so the education uh, uh, requirement for respiratory therapists is um, you can go into it out of high school. Mm -hmm. It's an advanced diploma in college. Some universities will offer it as, as a degree program, a joint degree program. Um, but for the most part, uh, or in, any, in Ottawa anyways, the majority of the people you meet will have done the, the three-year program okay. at, uh, at, at college. And then is it kind of like doctors, you do your, as part of your program, do you do kind of a residency or do you just kind of go into that after? No, we do. Through? Yeah, no, we do. Um, we do uh, two years of, um, of school in class and in lab. And then we do a full third year of full of all clinical placement. So that's when we get to see everything, experience everything. Is that like going to different areas of the hospital? So you get to see if you're maybe ICU and then you get to see kind of surgery. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things. Yeah, we do, um, um, you know, we do, we do every, every ward or every spot you could be in hospital. Um, we go out in the community, we do uh, pulmonary function testing, we do outpatient, outpatient work. Um, and uh, we like here, the RTs in Ottawa are lucky enough. They, they do a rotation through CHEO. Uh, they can work with kids, um, and really, it's all it's all age groups. That's got to be rewarding and terrifying at the same time, I would imagine. Yeah, well, it's it's a it's a steep learning curve, but um, but that third year really helps. Um, you know, RTs are always very. I've always been very good at working in teams and supporting each other, and and uh, like I said before, you've all you've got the other healthcare professionals there to help out too. So. 
I guess this is kind of the cool question that I, I don't want to say it in a morbid kind of way, but as an RT, we, I wanted to ask you, what are the biggest challenges that you face? And I guess you could go from a day-to-day -day basis, but I mean, we all just witnessed from 2020 on the biggest pandemic of an entire few generations. Uh, what was that like? Is that one probably the biggest challenge of your career as far as so far facing like a, a virus like that that affects the lungs? And I, I would say it was uh, just because, you know, up until that point in my career, whenever a patient was sick, the likelihood of you getting sick also was pretty slim. Um, but, uh, but when COVID came through and, and it was affecting people in different ways, and especially at the start when we didn't know, really know how it would affect anyone, um, you know, everybody, you know, we took extra precautions. Uh, we washed our hands a lot. We, um, we, we, did our best with uh, the PPE we were provided, which did work, by the way. Um, so it, it certainly did change the dynamic uh, from you know going in for a regular workday to going in to work one day and you know wondering, am I going to get sick today? Yeah, and I guess it was an ever-evolving thing too. You didn't know how bad the virus was then. Could it get worse? Could it get better? I also thought of it from talking to you a bit during the pandemic. It was kind of like. It's like your job went from being like a healthcare professional taking care of patients who are sick to being a firefighter that's going to fight a fire every single shift. You know, like it was just chaos. Right. And, and, and we all got to, we were told we could just stay at home. Yeah. Like, you know, and just be safe. Well, and that would, for a firefighter, that would probably be a fire that, you know, they don't know what caused it. They don't know uh, if, if water is, if water or say a fire extinguisher is the best thing to put it out. And they, and they don't know um, what's, what's best for them to wear to protect themselves from it either. So. So, it was different. Okay, so can can you take us back to the early days of COVID? Because I think we're all still trying to understand what happened and walk us through what a day is like on the COVID ward in spring 2020 when we don't know what's going on. Um, well, I guess back then, um, to be honest, when you were working back then, you whether it was COVID ward or not, you treated everyone as if they had it. Um, because you didn't know um, who had it, who didn't. People might show symptoms later. Um, we did know there was asymptomatic transmission. So um, there were the, the COVID wards that, that you, know, you knew the patients had it, but we still worked the same. We wore the same PPE. Um, we kept our masks on. We all, we had you know, face shields, gloves, gowns. Um, we did all that to work with with really any patient, um, so which was a which was a, a, a huge 180 from before that, where um, we wore you know mainly minimal minimal stuff. Um, I would see lots of patients before COVID, you know maybe just on the ward, someone who's not sick. Um, you know I may not wear a mask, but um, at the time we we didn't have masks weren't a regular thing to wear unless you felt there was a need to do it, but. So did you see a lot of positives? I can only imagine that a lot of research came out of this that just showed like the shift of like health and safety, cleanliness in a hospital ward. You probably learned a lot from those experiences and shape. Did the culture shift? Absolutely. Kind of certain standards have now been. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, a, lot of, a lot has changed with infection control. Um, a lot, of, I mean, just look at the mRNA vaccines, right? How quickly that those came to fruition. Um, 
you know, to, to, to roll something out like that would, would, I would think would generally take a very long time. We had those, those pretty quick and into arms pretty quick. It was like a pretty cool thing to watch how the whole entire global community kind of came together around this one thing that you yeah. saw like, but I mean, it didn't, it, it, it wasn't just us, everybody learned. You know, people people were washing their hands. People were wearing masks in grocery stores. People were wiping down cart handles. Like, you know, it it's. I, I mean, we we learned a lot where we were, but um, but I think, global. I think I think the learning curve was more uh, a global thing than anything. That's. Did you find in the chaos? When you were working and it was absolutely nuts and you didn't know day to day like you have a family i'm going to work am i going to get sick am i going to get my family sick one thing i thought was pretty cool at the beginning was uh how the community kind of came together in support of people like yourself or people who were on the front lines and people were donating masks making masks did that help you through the day to day oh yeah absolutely like um i mean at this at the start we were worried about that ppe shortage so um yeah like uh, the, the masks everything even um, um, even like the hats that got made for us and stuff because we would cover we cover our hair too. We weren't sure if mm-hmm. if uh, droplet particles getting on our hair would would transfer to our hands, um, things like that. Um, but definitely the community rallied around around everybody. It was a re- it was really an amazing thing to see. Um, and you know, I think all the healthcare pro- professionals were greatly appreciative of that. Oh, it's like I don't think it's pretty fair to say we were all pretty grateful to healthcare professionals too, because we didn't know anyone, I guess, at that time at the beginning. I remember it was pretty scary. You're thinking like, am I going to get this? Is it kind of like, you know, you're hearing all these stories about like nobody knew what was going on. And then you saw those movies like Outbreak back in the day. And you're like, is this really like, you see shows like The Walking Dead. I know it kind of sounds silly, but it's like, could this be absolute, like what if it was like the bubonic plague or something like that? That is absolutely terrifying. Well, I think something interesting to know is that your wife is also a respiratory therapist yes and your children were very young yeah and so we're all locked at home not knowing what's going on and you and your wife are in hospitals and you know you're going to be interacting with COVID patients so how did that how did you do that with your young babies at home we we uh, honestly we just we just did our best at the when when COVID first hit um, I had, uh, one child under two and, uh, my wife was actually pregnant with the other one. So they both, so both of my family members fell in the high risk category. Um, so, um, really to be honest, the only, the, the way we dealt with it was just to be as vigilant as we could with PPE to do our best. Um, and just, and really just hope for the best too. Yeah, I did definitely feel bad because I think one thing I'd, I'd like to highlight that I appreciated about everything that you and your wife went through was we all got to hide in the quiet, waiting for the peaks to go down. And then we'd all reemerge for a bit before the next lockdown and see each other. But it was almost like you guys had to be like, OK, I'm not I have to go to work and then I don't want to risk my family. And I, like, I feel like you guys you're at work or you're at home protecting yourselves. Is that fair? Like. A, yeah, I mean the the weird the weird thing for me during COVID was like my my day to day never changed. I went I still went to work like my I know a lot of people work from home or um, for unfortunately for a lot of people got laid off and and things like that. But my my job uh, and schedule never really changed. Um, I was you know I still went into work every day and um, so that so the reality so. 
I, I, I'm not even sure that much of the reality for um, uh, anybody who didn't go to work. So like the, all the work working from home and, and that kind of stuff, I, you know, I just go by what people said, but I could imagine that that was a much larger change. I would think for any of any of those guys than it was for me. I admire like the, the, the mental health struggle was significant for a lot of people. And I just appreciate that people in healthcare, it's, it's one thing to be working from home and you kind of get down on yourself because you're like, oh, my life's kind of been taken up in arms, but you're not out there every day at a risk of exposure and stuff like that. So that's one of the things I think is, should be highlighted to anybody who might be watching this and what the healthcare professionals and frontline workers went through was putting themselves out there to be at risk while the rest of us got to try and avoid this as much as we could. But that's, we talked a bit about how the culture of the hospitals changed. We talked a bit about how you said your uh, hand washing, wiping down carts, people wearing masks. How has your perspective changed now, having gone through that since when you started this position and when you, you went into it? Well, I, I think, I think you know, COVID was one thing, but just, just working in healthcare has changed my perspective um, on, uh, I, you know, I think, I'll probably take my health a little more seriously. Um, and I, and I try to encourage others to do the same, even just the little things, diet, a little bit of exercise, you know, um, just trying to take care of yourself. Even, even sleep is a big one. Like, um, a little bit can go a long way when it comes to making healthy decisions. And, uh, and, and I think that, uh, you know, seeing what, what could be the end result of not doing so, I guess maybe changes my perspective on, on, on how I'm going to sort of lead my life. So that's a good model. A little bit goes a long way. I think I can start with that. I need to exercise <laughs> a little bit more. Uh, so with, with respiratory therapy, I mean, we are in the time of unbelievable. We're in, I feel like we live in a time where there's so much technical technological advancements and breakthroughs that we don't even acknowledge it. So even in your time, what, what's changed a bit about respiratory therapy and what do you see for the future? Where's this going? Well, even in my time, we've had, we've had some fairly big changes. Um, the biggest ones would be, uh, with the ventilators, uh, not only technology wise, uh, when I first started, we still had ventilators that we were um, opening up, taking the pieces apart, um, and, and putting them back to get cleaning them, putting them back together. Now, um, you know, a ventilator costs as much as a car or a high end car. They've got good computers in them. Um, they can deliver a breath to a patient, um, you know, as close to a natural breath as possible. Um, but e and even using that technology, the research that's come behind it is uh, is unbelievable there's a lot of things that we that we would do when i started that we don't do now there's there's novel approaches that we tried and worked very well um again covid was a huge catalyst for that because it was a it was a big respiratory disease and affected a lot of people's lungs um so it became difficult to, to ventilate people a lot of research went into the best way to ventilate an injured lung um so, uh, and, and that's stuff we've now carried over into the, you know, post pandemic era. So it's just going to be evolving research. Yeah. It's just get this better and better and better. Yeah. Like it, it, like the technology is coming along so fast. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, you combine that with the research that's coming out and, uh, there's some, there's some pretty amazing things coming down the pipe.
so you think like maybe even for diagnoses and stuff like that and treatment, it's just going to be that much more effective as you evolve just because things are getting better. Technology is getting better. That's yeah. Awesome. And I mean, not, it, and it's not just in, in the respiratory field, like it's all of them, you know, all of medicine is, is really coming up. Um, you know, like, uh, even things like, you know, my, my mom got her knee replaced a couple months ago. That's you're in and out in the same day now for that. Right. You know, that used to take uh, at least a couple of days of rehab and, and, you know, sitting on the ward and getting better and then going home. But, but, uh, it's just, uh, even like I, I, you know, I listened to Dr. Hogan's podcast, the advancements in, in, uh, uh, pathology are like that, all of that stuff too. Right. And you're saying AI learning is going to just take things to the next. Right. So what would surprise people most about respiratory therapy? I guess, cause I, like you said, I feel like it's something that's taken for granted. You kind of see the nurses, you know, when you see a doctor, but you guys are right there. You literally control the heart and lungs, two of the one, two of the three most important pieces of your body, really. What well, was... I think I think probably I I, I, t- I touched on it earlier, but I think probably the biggest thing that would surprise people is just you know um, how much we are there that you don't realize. Um, we are always um, um, you know I, I guess. Uh, we, we never advertise our presence. We um, and in in most cases we're we're sort of um, uh, we come when we're called type thing. So we're a lot of times we're we're in and out because um, our patient assignments or the things we need to do we can uh, we usually do things quickly and, and move on to the next person. Um, but I think I think to answer your question, it would just be that you know um, we're there, you know, and people don't really realize it. I guess, like I said, it's taken for granted. You are literally there at the most important points and people kind of, they either don't want to meet you or they don't get to meet you because you're saving their life and they're in recovery. <laughs> um, so you obviously have a very important job. Uh, the people in your profession have been through a lot, just like anyone in healthcare and emergency services, frontline services in the last couple of years. Is there any takeaways from this kind of podcast that you'd like people to know that a respiratory therapist could kind of some information that you could share something you could tell people that you just want them to know about your, your trade. Um, you know what? Not, not really. Like, um, we, you know, we're there whenever anybody needs, um, you know, uh, a, a lot of people will run into us at some point, some more than others. Um, but really just, just for my trade, like, you know, we're, we're, we're there to help. Um, and uh i guess i guess you know just if if to to do your best and uh be as try and try and work to work on being as healthy as you can so you don't end up um with anything any issues later in life my diet my my ex sorry my takeaway i think is diet exercise sleep yeah just a little bit start a little bit at a time that's right i'll go for like a 10 minute walk to the fridge after this podcast grab a beer yeah, just take 10 minutes on my way um so thanks a lot for doing that with us but now we kind of end with a little bit of fun if you got anything you want to share we know a lo- about your thing tell us something that's not about your thing that's about you um well i mean uh to be honest right right now my my kids my wife they're they're my life i have two small kids two little girls uh they're five and three so they're very busy um and uh, now they're getting even busier because they're getting old enough to to start skating and swimming and sports and stuff. Um, you know, uh, I I'm an RT who works shift work, so 
Uh, I do work a lot of weekends, so um, my my spare time is uh, I spend as much as I can with them. But I do, you know, like to keep uh, an interest in my hobbies, like you know, hockey. I like to be outside, um, fishing, fishing, hunting, yeah. going uh, uh, going going up to the cottage, um, and you know, all summer long is something we love to do and yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun yeah and i think it's important to say because we mentioned her twice now but your wife's name is carrie yes and she's a respiratory therapist too and she worked all during covid so yeah and thank then, you carrie yeah well that's just i guess the way i would close this is yeah thank you carrie but also to uh it's kind of neat to have people like yourself on here it gives a human side to what everybody saw in that chaos and for yourself the other respiratory therapists especially working with the pandemic and then everybody else who's on the front line you know this is an opportunity for us to say thank you and you know anybody who's watching i'm sure they want to express it as well but that being said thank you for everything you did but awesome thank you for being on here hey yeah. thank you for having me it was a pleasure yeah we had a blast it was, it was really good and uh bryce and kits uh is there anything you want to plug for the ottawa hospital or anything like that you know charities or anything like that um you know the heart institute is really important here in ottawa you know every hospital has has their has a foundation that you can that you can donate to. So, um, you know, depending on what part of town you live in, or depending on you know everybody, everybody has a has a history with with one of the hospitals around. They've all got foundations. They're all you know um, a little bit of money always goes a long way for them. So I think Ottawa is pretty cool. You get to you can kind of do your research and donate to something that means something to you, right? Yeah. You know, research. Yeah. So that's it. Check it out. The, you know, Ottawa Hospital and uh, yeah, Bryson. Episode number nine. What's your thing? Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So make sure to check us out. What's your thing pod.com. Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, follow us on TikTok. Check us out. We're going to have a blast. What's your thing? What's your thing?